We are going to be starting a new series just for the month of January, and we're going to go through a passage called the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, which begins Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And these words in a world that is, is full of voices and noise go, go back. These words go back to what Jesus has to say about the most important things. And uh, the most important things of who we are and, and what we're here for, of, of life's priorities and ethics. The most seminal teaching of all of that is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and which many scholars would say is the culmination of the, of the Ten Commandments and of the whole teaching of the Old Testament. But now it's made new with Jesus. This time for, for the longtime Christian, hearing the, this passage is, is like singing a familiar song. You sing it, but every time it's sung, it's new in that moment. But if you're new to the faith or if you are on the outside looking in, this teaching of Jesus, it, it, it stands in a stark contrast to the values that we are flooded with in the world. It's a whole different way of looking at the most important things. So let's come to this scripture Let's come to it with prayer. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that the scripture in its truth, in its teaching, that Lord, also with your spirit, you would penetrate our hearts with it. Show us anew and afresh what you're calling us to know of you, of ourselves and of our relationship and of our lives. God, guide us as, as I share, but guide all of us as we listen to you in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From Matthew chapter 5, the first five verses, listen to the word of God. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Amen. I said that this passage is about the most important things. And by that, I am talking about what we're doing here, both, both here in this building this morning, but really here, alive and breathing. This is about what we're a part of, it's about the why of life, about who we are at heart and who God is and a snapshot of our relationship. You know, the most important things. 
And as we begin a few weeks in this passage, I want to lay the groundwork this morning and with, a, with a quick look at two themes that are repeated again and again uh, the, through this passage that we'll look at again and again through the weeks and, and also the, the few parts that are specific to this morning's reading, to this morning's section of the Beatitudes. The first thing that I want to talk about, this passage is at heart about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's what John and Jesus said that he came to preach and to teach and to bring. It is the core of Jesus' message and the core of the New Testament. And having a fundamental understanding of it is vital to understand the most important things. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is about God's reign. It's not about territory. It's not about space. This is about, not about the borders of God's country. This is about those over whom God exercises authority and, and who freely submit to it. There are two senses of the use of kingdom in the New Testament, in Scripture. And each context provides hints at to which one of these is meant in that passage. There is the sense of the universal kingdom of God. God is in charge. God is sovereign and has power over everything. The, the Gospel of Matthew ends with the risen Christ charging his disciples to make other disciples based on the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. But there's another sense of the use of the, of the term kingdom, which is the primary use of it in this sermon. Kingdom is all of those on who have accepted God's reign in their lives. And by doing that, they're saved. Another term that can be used is life, who have life in him. Those for whom salvation is effectual have life. And those who don't receive his reign don't have that life. That is to whom Jesus is referring as receiving the kingdom of heaven. Those who have life through his saving death those who accept his reign over them, that he is God and I'm not. This passage begins and ends with those who are blessed receiving the kingdom of heaven. That, that beginning and ending is a literary device known as inclusion. And, and everything begins and ends with this promise of the kingdom of heaven and that means that all the other blessings are a part of this overarching blessing both in the beatitudes but but really in the theme of this whole sermon and and frankly the whole gospel that we receive the kingdom of heaven that we are heirs with Christ in the kingdom the kingdom of heaven life in him is the is the theme of his message. 
But there's another key repeated word in this passage throughout the Beatitudes, and that is the simple word blessed. Blessed. Blessed are those. This is not just merely happiness, although it includes that, but it's so much more. It means to bless is to be blessed means to find approval. To find approval. We approve of God when we bless Him. We praise and we glorify Him. And, and there's no condescension on our part when we, when we approve of God. It's a natural thing. It's a recognition of His worth and worthiness. But this is about Him blessing us. He deigns to approve of us. Two things. These two things, the kingdom and the blessing of God, they are what we are a part of. This is what we're a part of in this world and as believers. And, and these things, the, this blessing and this kingdom, they are, have more value than anything else in this world. And deep inside, deep inside we know that, that these are, are the most important things, the blessing and the kingdom. And we'll keep coming back to these two themes in the coming weeks as we walk through this teaching of Jesus. But we're going to get to this third thing, the, the characteristics, characteristics of those who are blessed. This, this third element is to look at the qualities of those who receive this blessing, the blessing of the kingdom. This morning, I want to very quickly say something about these characteristics in the passage that we looked at this morning. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, and those who are meek. First, poor in spirit. This, this poverty of spirit is not, is not economic. It's not an economic poverty. This is a very simple recognition of our unworthiness of receiving God's blessing. That we're not worthy of it. Don Carson puts it this way. He says, poverty of spirit is the personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. It is the conscious confession of unworth before God. As such, it is the deepest form of repentance. That's what poverty of spirit is. That means very simply three things. First of all, it means that we need God. We need God. We need his approval, his love. As Augustine described, we'll always have a God-shaped hole in our hearts without that approval, without that love. But at the same time, we're not worthy of it. that we can't do what he would ask of us, that he, what, he, what he would require of us to be worthy of his love. We can't be in ourselves worthy of it because, because of our selfishness, because of our sin, and because of his purity and his holiness. The gap is too wide. But finally, the third thing is that we know it that we know it, that we recognize it. We know 
our poverty before Him. This, the poverty of our need for Him and lack of Him. We know it. All that means is that God does condescend to bless us. He approves of us because we both see our need for Him and our inadequacy of that blessing. And His condescension is seen most clearly in His Son's humility to satisfy the requirements that He may bless us. Christ dies for us on the cross. That's the good news. And our poverty of spirit is very simply our recognition of that. Being poor in spirit is to know that that is the nature of our relationship with God and to accept it. Those who mourn comes right after that. Comes right after that. Those who mourn It is the emotional response to the reality of those who are poor in spirit. Christians Christians are the ultimate realists. We are the realists. We grieve over our own sin and and the brokenness of the world. We we grieve over, particularly when we are confronted by God's holiness and the purity of God. We grieve. That's why at the beginning of every service, the very first act of worship that we really do after just recognizing God's presence is confession. That is our grieving over our inability to be worthy of God's presence and yet recognizing and trusting that He loves us and saves us still. That's mourning. That is us mourning and, and those who know what it is to mourn over the brokenness of our hearts and the whole world, the brokenness of the whole world, are also those who know the comfort of God. And that's how, right after confession, we can sing. We can sing because we hear that assurance of pardon and we know God's love anew and afresh. And there's no, there's no joy better than that which God provides to those who mourn all the brokenness of ourselves and our world. We can truly know joy, the real, the true realists of our world. That's, that's mourning. And then finally, we have meekness. Don't for a moment think that meekness is the same thing as weakness. They're not the same thing. This meekness is is the freedom that one has who already knows in their poverty of spirit that they receive all they need in the blessing of God. They have the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, in that freedom... We are free to put others' needs ahead of our own. Even the interests of those who don't understand this freedom and try to take advantage of us. The meek are those who are strong enough to turn the other cheek. Not because they're weak, but because in the fullness of God's blessing, they are meek. 
These ones inherit the earth. They already possess everything. They already have everything they could ever want. They are, me- they are the meek ones who are truly content. Isn't it amazing that meekness and contentment go together? Those are the first three Beatitudes, and these are the characteristics of someone who is blessed by God. But now I want to do a couple of quick observations that poverty and mourning and meekness, just saying those words, it's so clear that they are the opposite of the values of our world. And and too often they're the opposite of, of church's values. After all, we are in a church made up of people in this world. And so very often we carry those values into a church and they contrast with the values that Jesus shows that we have as Christians in the Beatitudes. We've we've brought as a culture Leo DeRocha's reality when he says, nice guys finish last. We, we too often deify strength in a, in a kind of brashness and narcissism as an ideal to aspire to, that we just don't need anyone else or anything else, especially an unseen God, and that we can decide, decide that we are good enough because we can make up the rules of right and wrong. <laughs> Doesn't that take you right back to the Garden of Eden? and the fall, that we make up the rules, when in reality, we are poor in spirit. But this is what makes Christians different. We recognize our sin. We recognize that we are the problem. Everyone knows there's a problem in the world. That's something that we can almost all universally agree upon every faith every 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 person in the world christians know we are the problem gk chesterton uh, was one of whom were asked by the london times to answer the simple question what is the problem with the universe and he wrote back to them one line he said the problem with the universe is me signed gk chesterton and this, this, this picture of the qualifications of blessing are in utter contrast to these worldly values of, of wealth and invulnerability and self-satisfaction and strength and rugged individualism and so many other ways that we can, we can name it. But the result of poverty of spirit is having God's blessing. And when you know that you have that, not because of how good you are or because that you're worthy of it, but because he condescends to love you, love you in the most real ways, even to take the punishment for your sins upon himself. Then you know you have all you need. And, and we'll look at the coming weeks of what that looks like in our relationships with, with each other, both inside the family of faith and outside. But let me say one more thing that is very present in this passage. 
And it's an understanding about the nature of God's reign today. We are in in, in between time. I talked about this with Advent. We're in an in-between time, the now and the not yet. Jesus has come, and with him comes the kingdom of God, the reign of God for the people of God. All authority in in heaven and earth is given to him, and we give ourselves to his reign, even now, fully, as fully as we can. But Jesus is coming again in fullness, and then his reign will be fulfilled. There's an Old Old Testament image that scholars have long recognized is very present in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the image of the wilderness, of the wilderness. The people of God have escaped from slavery in Egypt, and they've escaped into the wilderness. But they are not yet fully ensconced in the promised land. It's a good picture of life now. It's a good picture life for, of life for those who know God's reign, but know that we're still broken sinners. Know our poverty of spirit. A, a life as those who know God's joy but still shed tears over so much brokenness in our own lives and in the world today. It is a picture of those who trust God's provision, but still pray for our daily bread. This passage is a picture of life in the wilderness, in that in-between place, and that is the place where we live in the Christian life, and in many regards, it's more specifically a good, good, good picture of, uh, of life in a church in transition. Our, our church is in a season of transition of a, after a long pastorate, coming out of a long pastorate and, and looking to what is next. And you could say we're very much in that wilderness place right now of, of thinking, okay, looking around and saying, where is God? Who are we? Where is God leading us? and seeking to follow him. That's a good picture of the wilderness. But you could also say it's a good picture of every church in our culture these days. As the culture surrounding us has changed, and as we come out of COVID and look around at, uh, at, at different people, different picture in our pews. I, I heard this week, statistically, 90% of churches in America are in decline coming out of COVID. An average churchgoer in the past three years has gone from coming to church 1.8 times a month in in just the past couple of years, gone down to 1.2 times per month. I look around at so many of you and, you know, none of us are here all the time. I wasn't here last week. Um, But I got to say, you are an amazingly faithful group. Uh, I know most of you are here almost all the time that you can can be here. And I'm, I'm amazed at your faith. The core of this church is amazing. But yet, as a church in the culture and, and as a local body, this is a wilderness season for the church. And these weeks, looking at who we are and who God is, and they provide a fundamental need 
as we wander in the wilderness so that we will not only not be grumblers the way the people of God too often became, but rather we'd be truly disciples in a changing world ready for anything. And we'd be prepared for the next season as we go through the wilderness and journey to the promised land. We are the meek who inherit the earth. We are those who mourn and are comforted. And we are the poor in spirit who receive the kingdom of heaven. And I want to speak particularly to those who are in leadership and coming into leadership and to office this morning. I say, know who you are. Know your poverty and your blessing. And take your place in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, I stand amazed at your word. I, I don't know how many time I've, times I've preached on this word, on, the, on this passage, how many times I've opened this passage and read it. And yet it, in it are the riches of, of who we are and who you are and who you're calling us to be with you. That we can accept the reality of the brokenness of our lives in this world and yet know exactly in those places you deign to bless us. Bless us with a blessing that is overwhelming. That we are your children, heirs together with your son of your kingdom. Lord, we stand amazed. And it is our joy to invite again your reign over us as God and to trust in you. God, I especially pray for those coming into leadership in this season. Lord, give them insight and discernment into your leading. And all of us, Lord, may we in the poverty of our spirit look to you as the source of all things, of leading, of blessing, and of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we come now to a, a, a few moments of reflection, of responding to your word, Lord, we give our hearts to you. We give our tithes and our offerings, but also our hearts. And Lord, draw us in evermore. And we thank you. We pray all this in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.